Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. I got a message today that God's put on my uh, heart. It's a kind of a bit of a, a heart checkup in the middle of the year. You know, we're kind of halfway through the year. Can you believe that? You know, we're, uh, we're, you know, I can't remember how many days it is to Christmas, but we're past the halfway point. We're past the halfway point of the year. You know, Christmas is closer uh, than uh, further away. And it's kind of like a point where I just feel like it's kind of like this is the middle week end of the year. I, uh, I wanted to share a message which I, which I hope will be a bit of a heart check for us. A little bit of, hey, how am I travelling with God? How am I showing the kindness of of God to people around me uh, halfway through the year. You ready? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you are so kind. Thank you for all of those kids that uh, heard your good news, saw your good news. And uh, God, I just, uh, I just pray for every young person who put their faith in you, Lord Jesus, that, uh, that you would... Protect that seed of faith. God, you would water that seed of faith. God, that there would be whole families that are redeemed. There would be generational change because of one young person receiving your good news. And God, this morning I pray that as we open your word, you would speak your good news to us. And God, it would land on fertile soil in our hearts. And God, it would grow and it would flourish. And your grace, your kindness, your character would be more evident in our lives as we show your kindness to a world around us. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just before, or just as COVID was starting, actually, in 2020, we said goodbye uh, to a very precious member of our family, our uh, dog, Max. This might be a photo of him coming up on the screen. He's been a member of our family the whole time that we lived in uh, Queensland. We moved up in uh, 2004 from Sydney, left both of our families behind. Our kids were very young at the time, and first... Christmas in Queensland when we were going to be on our own for Christmas, well, just our little family, and we didn't have all the extended family around us. We knew the, you know, kids were, uh, yeah, I was feeling a little bit sad about that, and so we decided to do something that would, uh, you know, just make Christmas a little bit exciting uh, for them, a bit of a distraction maybe, and so we bought a little border collie puppy, 2004, and he just became part of our family. He grew up. Up, uh, with our kids uh, our whole time we've been in Queensland. Uh, he was part of our family and uh, in 2020 he turned 16 and um, was pretty old uh, for a Border Collie. He was probably 15 and a half, still pretty old for a, uh, a Border Collie and he'd been on arthritis medication, he'd been lots of trips to the vet as his uh, health was deteriorating but I got up one morning 
early March 2020, and uh, Max couldn't get up on his back legs anymore. He was lame in his back legs, and uh, we just knew that the kindest thing for us to do would be to, uh, to let him go. And so we took him to the vet. None of the girls in our family uh, were uh, able uh, to take him to the vet, and so it landed on me and Joey. Uh, we got to uh, take Max uh, to the vet and say uh, goodbye to him. And I remember, you know, trembling as we carried him out of the car, you know, on a blanket. And we took him into the surgery and we spoke tenderly to this dog as he was dying. And we just sat there and patted him and comforted him in his last moments. Our hearts were full, you know, of compassion and grief. And we're feeding him, you know, little uh, chocolate doggy treats that I don't think we'd fed him since he was a puppy. But we wanted to spoil him. We wanted to show kindness to him. And we, as two grown men are sitting in this surgery as this dog is just slowly going to sleep and there are tears streaming down our eyes as our hearts are full of compassion and grief for this dog that we're saying goodbye to. Has anybody in this room had an experience something like that with a pet as you could said goodbye to a pet? Many of you know what I'm talking about. Now, the incredible, the, the incredible thing is, Max wasn't a perfect dog. Actually, he was a pretty annoying dog at times. He, when he was a puppy, he dug up my grass. He pulled plants out that I just spent money on out of the, the garden. He, he ate about 13 pairs of my thongs. You know, as, as he grew up, he continued to be annoying. He scratched our front door every time there was a thunderstorm and just made a mess of our front door. You know, when I locked him in the, in the backyard and he wanted to get out uh, during a thunderstorm, he literally chewed through our timber gate. When I patched up the timber gate and he had no hole to get out of, he kept pounding against those timber gates until he pulled the ramset bolts out of the wall and pushed the, the, the gate over. And then there was the, the moment when we were all actually were, years later, going back to Sydney for Christmas, all six of us plus Max, seven of us in the car, driving down the Pacific Highway to Sydney. It's hot, it's the uh, end of December, and uh, one of our kids, you know, absolute genius, thought it would be a good idea to feed Max two kilos of leftover Thai food the night before. <laughs> we're in the back. He's sitting in the back of this car. He had a smile on his face, but none of us did. There was just an explosion of doggy diarrhea all through the car. And we drove the last 500 kilometres to Sydney, doing about 140 with our heads out the window like this, because the car, the smell was just atrocious. He could be a pretty annoying dog. But as he was dying, there was so much compassion and grief in our hearts. We showed him extraordinary kindness. We carried him. We comforted him. We cared for him. We were compassionate to him. We fed him. We cried with him. My question for us this morning is, 
What if we showed the same kindness that we show to dead dogs to people, to annoying people? What if we showed the same kindness? The same kindness that we show to dead dogs, to annoying people around us. People that make a mess. People that make mistakes. People that at times, you know, you know get in the way of what we want to do in life. People that, you know, just at times crap all over the place and actually cause a disturbance in our lives. What if we showed that kind of kindness to people? That we would carry them in their time of need. That we would care for them when they're hurting. That we would be compassionate to them in their, in their place of pain. That we would show extravagant kindness to people even when they're annoying. Our world could do with a touch of kindness. Come on, who in this room knows that our world could do with a touch of kindness right now? Our world needs extravagant kindness. There are people all around us that right now just need a touch of extravagant kindness. I want to uh, read a story today from the Old Testament about a guy who actually felt like a dead dog. That's how low he felt. That's how much pain he was in. It's, you know, it's how much, it's how lame he felt that he describes himself as a dead dog and someone shows extraordinary kindness to them. And when he shows this extraordinary kindness, he describes it as God's kindness. This is not just human kindness. He says, this is God's kindness. As we read this ancient story, I want you to remember that this is simply a picture of God's kindness to every single one of us. 2 Samuel chapter 9. It says, David, who's become the king, asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show? Everybody say it with me. To whom I can show? God's kindness. Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, but he is lame. He's lame in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machir, son of Amil, in Lodabar. Lodabar means literally nowhere or no pasture or nowhereville or middle of nowhere. It was kind of the place you go to hide when you want nobody to find you. 
You want nobody to know where you are, you go to the place that's called nowhere or no pasture where nothing will grow and so you've got nothing to eat and so nobody wants to live there. But that is where Mephibosheth is. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Emil. When Mephibosheth, everyone say Mephibosheth. That's good. I've been practicing all week. It's pretty hard. Son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you'll always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice... A dead dog like me. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was lame in both feet. Let me just give a little bit of context here. Now Saul was uh, the first king anointed in, uh, in Israel. Saul was a mighty warrior. Saul was a great leader. And uh, for a time, he followed God. But over time, you know, Saul pride got a hold of Saul's heart. Saul turned away uh, from God and really trusted in himself and took the glory and the attention uh, upon himself. And so there came a time when God said, you know, I have rejected Saul as king. He is no longer the one that I will anoint and give, give my power uh, to be the king over Israel. And he says to Samuel, who is the guy writing this, uh, this history book, this recollection of, of Israel's history, and who was a prophet of the time, God says to Samuel, I want you to anoint a new king. And so many of you know the story. You know, Samuel turns up at Jesse's place and all of the big, strong, wise, older sons come out and uh, God says, no, they're not the one, until this little runt of a shepherd, the youngest of uh, the family named David comes out before Samuel and God says, he's the one. He's a man after my own heart. You know, God is one who looks at, not at our physical appearance, not at our human stature or our status in society, but he actually looks at the heart. And so David is anointed uh, as the king and we see David 
He's a, he's a great musician. He worships uh, God. But he's also a great leader and he's a great warrior. He's strong on uh, the battlefield. And people started to say, you know, Saul might defeat his thousands on the battlefield, but David, he defeats tens of thousands. And Saul started to get jealous of David. And so Saul decided to kill David. He'd wipe out the competition. He'd wipe out the one who, uh, who could well uh, want his throne, who could usurp him uh, from the throne. And so there's quite a time and quite a bunch of songs written in the Psalms that were written as Saul's chasing David around the countryside, trying to kill him. But miraculously, through all of these events, David actually becomes friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. They become best mates. They're, in, they're inseparable. They're very close friends. And David makes a covenant with Jonathan that when eventually he does end up on the throne, that he will not harm any of Jonathan's family, but he will show kindness to them. Same kind of covenant that God, you know, makes, you know, with people to show kindness to us. There's a serious covenant that David makes uh, with Jonathan. And eventually, Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle. David takes his place on the throne. And what happens is Mephibosheth's servant picks him up. He's a five-year-old son of Jonathan, a five-year-old grandson of Saul. And the servant picks him up and they flee towards Lodabar. Why? Because what happens when there's a new king in town and there's family members left of the old dynasty? They get killed. That's what happened when a new king got on the throne. The common practice was to wipe out the old family so there would be no threat of them wanting the throne back. And so Mephibosheth's servant picks him up and they flee towards Lodabar. But as they're fleeing in their haste, Mephibosheth gets dropped and he obviously gets dropped very, very badly because his feet, his legs are so badly injured that he's never able to walk again. Five-year-old boy, never able to walk again. And he finds himself living out his days in Lodabar. And here's David on his throne in the royal palace. And he says, I haven't forgotten my covenant with Jonathan. He says, is there anybody? He, he doesn't just stumble across people to show kindness to. He goes searching for people to show kindness to. He says, is there anybody left of Saul's family, of Jonathan's family, that I can show kindness to? And his servant says to him, there is one. His name's Mephibosheth and he's lame in both feet. And King David decides to show extravagant kindness to him. Now the reason this story still, this ancient story, it seems so far away from the way that we live today, the reason that it is still powerful, it's still relevant for us today, is because the king of Israel, particularly when the king of Israel is, is showing God's kindness or is speaking God's truth, it's simply a picture or a shadow, a foreshadowing, a forerunner of our king that was going to come 
to show kindness and to give truth and to redeem all people. And so when we see the king of Israel in the Old Testament being kind to dead dogs, it's simply a picture of what Jesus was coming to do for all people for all eternity. And so here in this story, in 2 Samuel 9, we've got a king who is kind to dead dogs. But I want to encourage us this morning, and I don't think many of you have ever heard a sermon with this title, but I want us to understand today, our king is kind to dead dogs. Our king is kind to dead dogs. He notices, he notices those who are lost and hurting. He's incredibly kind. So we see in this story, let me just read that one verse again. It says, Is there still no one alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Zebra answered the king, There's still a son of Jonathan, but he's lame in both feet. And then in verse 8 it says, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Have you ever felt like a dead dog? Maybe you got halfway through the year and you can kind of identify a little bit with Mephibosheth. You're feeling a little lame. Maybe you've got a little bit of fur missing right now. You've been in a few scrapes this year. Or maybe your energy levels are right down. Now, maybe you know you should get up and just get going because that's what the world tells us we should do, just get up and get going. But you can't because you're dead. And right now, the most you can hope for is someone will just come and scrape you off the road with a shovel. I'm not sure if anybody feels quite that low. But I think we all have times where we kind of feel like I just got not much left. Maybe there's some here today feeling just a little lost, a little displaced. Maybe you're hurting. Our king is kind of dead dogs. He notices. He notices people, lost people to show extravagant kindness to. It's true of King David. It's true of King Jesus. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 8. And uh, Jesus, you know, by this stage, he's getting a crowd. You know, he's, he's a bit of a superstar healing people and, and uh, teaching in a way that no one had heard before. Crowds are jostling around him. Everywhere he goes, he's just got, you know, people, you know, all around him. And in this crowd, there's one woman who's been sick for 12 years. No doctor's been able to heal her. She's spent all of her money. She's broke and she's excluded from community. She's not allowed, you know, around the rest of, of the, the community. She's actually got to, you know, live like a leper. She wasn't supposed to be in this crowd. And yet she sneaks into this crowd because she's desperate. And she thinks, maybe if I just reach out and touch Jesus' coat, then, then, then maybe I too could be healed. Like I've heard the stories of other people being healed. And so she does, she mingles into the crowd, reaches out, hoping that she could just go unnoticed, but just touch Jesus' coat and get healed. And she is immediately healed, but immediately Jesus stops in the crowd and says, who touched me? And the disciples say, Jesus, what are you talking about? There's people all around you, there's lots of people touching you. 
He says, no, somebody has just reached out in faith and power has left me and I know healing has happened. I love what it says. Let me just read a little bit from Luke 8. It says, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. It's a wonderful story. You know, this is the only time in all of the New Testament that Jesus addresses someone as daughter. It's the only time. The whole New Testament, this one poor, broke, sick, excluded woman, it's the only time he uses this word daughter to talk to a person. You know, I I love all of you in this room. I, I love being your pastor. I love seeing God at work in your lives and in this community. But there's only three people that I call daughter. And I actually love them more than you. And many of you know what I'm talking about. I was there when they were born. I was there when they took their first step. I was there when they were crying and I had to carry them. You know, I was there through every pain and disappointment. And I was there through every victory. In fact, my third daughter right now is running the marathon with Cirque, so I'm just going to... I've never done this in a sermon, but I'm just checking to see if she's finished. Nobody has told me. Um, (laughs) She's probably finishing about now. I feel differently. There's a special place in my heart for my three daughters. I love them more than I love you. Jesus looks at this poor, broke, sick, excluded woman and shows extravagant kindness to her, heals her, and then he restores her identity. He says, you're my daughter. I love you. I love you in a personal way. And then he restores her to community. He makes sure that this woman who wanted to go unnoticed is noticed by everybody in the community so that she can not only be healed, but she can be restored to community. You see, our king is kind to dead dogs. He notices lost and hurting people to show extravagant kindness to. My question, this is my my first sort of heart check question for us this morning. Who are you noticing to show God's kindness to? You can't change the world for everyone. But you can change the world for someone. In this next week, who could you show extravagant kindness to? Not because they deserved it. Mephibosheth did not deserve this. This woman in a crowd did not deserve it. It was simply because the king is kind. He's extravagantly kind. If we are going to be followers of the king, we're called to show the same kindness. We're called to show the same kindness to people that we would show to dead dogs. Who are you noticing this week? 
that you could show an extravagant kindness to and shine a light on King Jesus and his extravagant kindness for this whole world? There'll be some of you in this, mor- this morning, that's your heart check question. They're all going to be a little bit different. But this morning there's someone God wants you to notice to show extravagant out of this world kindness to. Our king is kind to dead dogs. He notices lost people to show extravagant kindness to and he restores all that we've lost. You know, to to restore, it it actually means to return something to its original or earlier condition or position. All right, when things got lost, in our house for the last 16 years while Max was alive, they often got returned, but rarely in original condition. <laughs> our shoes came back with bite marks and chew marks and we often got them returned eventually, but they were unwearable. The kids' toys often got returned a couple of days later but they'd actually been through Max's digestive system and out the other end, and they were not returned in original condition. Barbie never looked the same again. I said to Susan, just wash her off, give her back, we're not buying a new one. She never smelt quite the same way again, poor old Barbie. The kids' Easter eggs one Easter. All got eaten, foil and all. The foil kept coming back in deposits around the backyard pretty much from Easter to Christmas. But I promise you, they did not come back in original condition. But this is what our king does. He restores what we've lost and he restores us to original condition, to original position. David says to Mephibosheth, he says, don't be afraid. I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you to all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you'll always eat at my table. This is incredible kindness. Where's Mephibosheth living? Remember? Lodabar. Nowhere. No pasture. He's living in a place where crops don't grow. And what does David do for him? He restores to him not just a plot of land where he can start from scratch. He restores to him the land that Saul chose for himself because it's the most fertile land in the valley. He restores all of that land that he could have kept for himself. Restores it to Mephibosheth. Original condition. And he says, from now on, you'll eat at my table. Like one of my own sons. You're not not in the servants' quarters. I'm just not going to make sure you get three square meals. You're actually going to sit at my table. You're going to sit at the king's banqueting table. Like one of my own sons. This is an incredible restoration. If you're already starting to think, you know, where's King Jesus in all of this? You know, think of the story that he tells that I think has become his most famous well-known parable. 
that people all over our nation still, you know, kind of use the language of and they kind of know the story of even if they don't sit in church here on a Sunday morning. The story of the prodigal son. Everyone in this country knows what a prodigal is only because of this story. Jesus says, you want to know what my father's really like? You want to know the kindness, the compassion that's in his heart? Let me tell you a story. And I'm going to, it's an outrageous story about the worst son that anybody could imagine. He says, I want you to imagine a son that's so bad, he goes to his father and says, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want all of your money. Now you need to understand from this story that the dad wouldn't have had this cash laying around. His, his, his wealth was in assets. He had to go and sell a third of his land. That's what the younger brother was entitled to, a third of his land. He could never get back. It wasn't just another bag of gold that he could make back. He was giving away the, the family land. He was giving away their future. He goes and sells a third of their assets, gives it to this son. Already they're thinking, worst son ever in the history of the world. This son deserves to die. And it gets worse. Takes the family assets goes and wastes it all on wild living and when there's none left, he ends up in a pigsty. So now we've got this son who's sleeping with prostitutes and eating with pigs. For a Jewish boy, it does not get any worse than this. Jesus can't think of a worse story to tell. And when this son knows he's got nothing left and he's going to die if he stays in this place, he returns to his father's house, ready to beg, ready to get down on his knees, to grovel like a dog, and beg to be a servant in his father's house. But the father sees him a long way off. He's been waiting for him. And the father is so kind. When he deserved to die, when the community had the right to put him to death, they had the right, if this son ever returned, there was, this, there was this ceremony called the breaking of jars. As a way of saying, this, this, he's broken off, he's never to come back, and if he does, we've got the right to kill him. The father runs to the son to protect him from everybody that's got the right to kill him. But not just that, he runs with kindness in his heart, love in his eyes, and he wraps his arms around the sun and he embraces the sun, he kisses the sun, and he fully restores the sun. Doesn't even let the, doesn't even let the, uh, the speech get out of his mouth. You'll never be my servant, you'll always be my son. Here's the family coat, here's the family ring. Here's some shoes to put on your feet. What's he doing? He's restoring his position, his original position. He's saying you haven't lost your position. Family coat, family ring. He's restoring his freedom and his purpose. He's giving him shoes. It was a sign that you were not a slave. Slaves did not wear shoes. Free men wore shoes. He's putting shoes back on his feet. He's restoring him to his original position, his original condition. He's a son. He's a free man. And then he restores his joy. This son who comes groveling like a dog, he restores 
His joy, he says, we're going to throw a party. We're going to invite the whole community in. We're going to kill the fattened calf because my son was lost and now he's home. There's a painting Rembrandt did that's become one of his most famous paintings. It's a picture of the prodigal son. Just notice the son on his knees grovelling, begging to be a servant. And yet the father embraces him, not like a servant, but like a son. He's got strong hands that protect him, tender hands that embrace him. You can see he's got no shoes, all worn out. He's about to be restored. This son who comes home like a dog is actually about to be restored to sonship. The patriarch of the family just wraps his arms around him and shows incredible kindness. He restores all that's been lost. My second question this morning is what is, what's God restoring in you? What is God restoring in you that you've lost? Now maybe some of you, you've lost your joy. Maybe some of you have lost a sense of purpose. Maybe some of you have lost that understanding of your position as a son and a daughter of God. You can come before the throne of grace with confidence. You've actually started praying and living like a servant rather than a son or a daughter. Knowing a father that just wants to show extravagant kindness to you every day. Maybe he's restoring community. Maybe the son is just living with his, his community was a pigsty. Mephibosheth was living in Nowhereville. The king restores them to community. Maybe you're feeling a little displaced. And right in the middle of the year, this is a time to restore. God's restoring you to community. Maybe he's restoring you to intimacy. I love what Henry, Henry Nouwen says about this painting. He says, let's get the painting back up just for a second. Now and says this, I have to kneel before the father. He's reflecting on this, this lost son in the, in the picture. He says, I have to kneel before the father, put my ear against his chest and listen without interruption to the heartbeat of God. Maybe God's restoring intimacy. What is God restoring in you? As you get to the middle of the year, is there something that he's restoring? Our king is kind to dead dogs. He restores what he's lost. And lastly, he invites you to eat at his table every day. Verse 7 says, Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Right at the end of the passage it says, So Mephibosheth did. He was good to his promise. Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. You know, King David says to Mephibosheth, all the best food is yours. Everything that I have is yours. Nothing will be spared. Nothing will be held back. Every day you'll eat at my table like one of my very own sons. And King Jesus invites us to his table. He stands, you know, in the temple and he says this. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry again. I'll hold nothing back from you. 
I want to nourish your soul. I want to feed you spiritually. King Jesus spreads a table before us every day and invites us like sons and daughters to eat at his table every day. But too too often we're happy to eat just the scraps that the world throws at us. Too often we're happy just to stay in the pigsty. You know, our dog was never happy just to eat the scraps. It was one of the things we trained our dog to do heaps of things. I trained him to round up chickens. I I trained him to, you know, play dead, roll over. You know, he even is a very spiritual dog. We trained him to say grace before he ate. He'd put his paw up like this, we'd hold it, it was very embarrassing. And uh, we'd say grace and he would not eat until we'd finished and said amen. And he would, one of the things we never trained him to do, and I hated it, he always just circle our table looking for food from our table because he didn't want the scraps that were in his bowl. I wonder if we're the opposite, I wonder if we're happy just to eat the scraps that are left over. And God's got a table set before us. You are what you eat. It's true physically. You know, we we, we can look at the, the health of our bodies and it's a reflection of what we eat. It's true spiritually. You are what you eat. Have you ever gone out to lunch with someone and you sit down, the, the waiter comes around and uh, they say, I'll have a hamburger with a lot, loaded fries, a side of onion rings, some cheesy garlic bread and a Diet Coke. <laughs> Come on, have you ever had that experience? Well, it might have been you, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. What's the point of having a Diet Coke when you've just consumed four and a half million calories? It's kind of like the Diet Coke's going to make no difference. I tell you what it's a little bit like. It's a little bit like saying, I know what, I'm going to spend three and a half hours binging Netflix and then I'm going to spend an hour and a half scrolling Facebook. I'll be belittled by the boss for two hours I'll spend 45 minutes listening to talkback radio, but I'm going to read every day with Jesus for two and a half minutes and think that it's Jesus that's going to shape your life rather than Netflix or Facebook or the boss that belittled you or talkback radio. It's that stupid. You know, my grandfather was a bit of a workaholic and when he retired, I used to work with him a lot as a builder. When he retired, he couldn't stop working. So he planted a market garden that could feed most of Sydney. And uh, when he got too old to uh, kind of pick up bags of fertiliser and stuff, he'd send me down to the produce store to get a whole bunch of stuff to keep this market garden going. And I'd, uh, I'd get down there and there was this guy who kind of looked a little bit like a shaggy dog and he was always eating a dog biscuit. He was kind of like, he's just always munching on one every time I got there. And I kind of thought, man, you are what you eat. You look a little bit like a shaggy dog. But I, I wonder if some of us, you know, are kind of living on a diet. 
And you're wondering why, why am I not becoming more like Jesus? Why am I not seeing more of the life of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the power of Jesus? Why am I not seeing you know, the Bible in my life? And God's saying, I set a table before you and we're just... I knew you'd say that. I knew you'd say, oh, except for Daniel Wall. I forgot he was back from Tasmania. <laughs> but I knew the rest of you would go, oh. Why? It's food that's beneath my calling. <laughs> it's like you can live on it, but it's kind of like there's something better. <laughs> the very dry. <laughs> I wonder if some of us are spending our lives <laughs> I wonder if some of us are spending our lives eating garbage that's beneath our calling spiritually. And God's saying, hey, come and eat at my table every day. I've got something better for you. (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) Much better, I hope. And maybe, this is my final question. Maybe you started the year this year going, you know, I'm going to turn off Netflix. I'm going to run 40 kilometres a day. I'm going to do 500 push-ups every morning. I'm going to read through the whole Bible cover to cover every month. I'm going to pray. You know I'm exaggerating. But many of us started the year with a goal of how we were going to feed ourselves spiritually. And we're halfway through the year and I wonder if some of us are waking up and we're eating Fruit Loops with chocolate milk. And we haven't run to the letterbox and back. And the Bible's getting a little dusty on the shelf. And it's a little heart check of how we come into the table every day. I want to encourage you this rest of this year, be kind to yourself. Come to the table and eat. You know, if you've, if you've listened to me preach over the years, you've probably heard me talk about my soap way of reading the Bible, SOAP, S-O-A-P. Just, I just read the Bible till there's a scripture that stands out at me. I write it down. I always observe what's God doing in this scripture. That's how I got this message. I thought it was funny. Dead dog. Anyway, God kept speaking to me. A, application. How, how am I supposed to apply it to my life? And then a P is a prayer. And I write all of these things down because I'm such an activist. I need the writing slows me down. I write out the prayer. Been doing it for years. I'm not saying everyone should do it, but maybe some of you should. This year, or the last two years actually, I've actually, a couple of little things I've started doing. I've never had a new car until the last two years and I'm a technological dinosaur. So I've never known how to listen to stuff while I'm driving. But I've now worked it out. And I now got a new car. And so for the first time in my life, really, I've started listening to other people's sermons every week. I listen to six sermons a week. I do a lot more driving and it's been feeding my soul. I listen to the Bible while I'm driving. I listen to books while I'm driving. 
Maybe some of us need to start doing that. Lastly, the other thing that's been really helpful for me in this season is memorizing scripture. Maybe there's just one or two scriptures that are just important for you to memorize in this season. The one that's been really important for me is uh, in Colossians 3. It says, you know, since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated on his throne. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, since you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I've faced more, you know, conflict and argumentative people in the last 18 months than I have for the last 18 years. And it's been wearying. And I've needed that scripture. When I've all sorts of thoughts going through my mind, set your heart on things above, where Christ is still seated on his throne. It's been so powerful for me. It's restored me. It's fed me. Acts chapter you know, 13, simple moment in church history that I believe is a moment in our history in this nation. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. After they prayed and fasted, they laid hands on Saul and Barnabas and sent them off and it changed the Roman Empire in the next 250 years because of that moment. I believe we're at a moment like that in our nation. We need the church worshipping the Lord and fasting and hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and sending people out, believing that we can see this nation changed in the next decade, the next 100 years, the next 200 years. Maybe there's some scriptures you need to memorise that are really important for you in this season. We're halfway through the year. A little bit of a heart check. I'd love to pray for you and to get us to pray for each other. If you're here this morning and you just go, ah, oh, there's, there's just someone God wants me to notice. I want to show extravagant kindness to someone this week. And maybe already you've got that person in mind. It might be someone at City Care. It might be someone in your family. It might be someone at work in your neighbourhood. You can't change the world for everyone. You can change the world for someone. But this morning, this is I've been talking. You, God's been showing you just one person. You can show extravagant kindness to it. They might too. They might not deserve it, but you're just choosing to. Can I just get you to stand where you are? I want to pray for you. Someone, just God's putting on your heart. Come, don't be shy. Just stand where you are. I know. I know. God's speaking to some people here. Someone to show extravagant kindness to. Anybody else? I'm going to get people to keep standing over the next few minutes. Maybe this morning, you've just as we've been telling this story, there's just something in your life God's restoring. Maybe you felt displaced and he's restoring you into community. Maybe he's restoring joy and it feels like it's just leaked out of you. Maybe he's restoring intimacy. He's calling you just to kneel, put your hand on the Father's chest, your head on the Father's chest and listen to his heartbeat. There's something God's just wanting to restore in you at this point. Can I just get you to stand where you are? I just want to pray for you as well. Something that God's restoring. I mean, it feels lost. 
God's restoring it to its original condition and to your original position. Cool. One more group of people. If you're here this morning and say, oh, I just want to eat at the King's table every day. I want his word to shape my life and nourish my soul. And this has been a little reminder for you this morning, just to change up your spiritual diet in some way. Can I just get you to stand where you are? Awesome. I'm going to pray. I, I just love if you're standing around some of these guys, can I, can I just get you to put a hand on their shoulder? And just uh, as I'm praying, just maybe as a prayer in your heart will rise up that you can pray for them next. Let me pray. But you just start to listen to God. Let God speak to you this morning. God, I pray. God, right now, come by your Holy Spirit. Come. And God, fill our hearts with kindness. Fill our hearts with compassion. And God, would you give us eyes to see, eyes to notice those that we can show extravagant kindness to this week. That we can show your kindness, God's kindness to. God, would you help us to see them? God, give us courage to follow through and to be obedient. And God, I pray that as we pour out your kindness into someone's life, it won't be us that gets praised. It won't be us that gets glorified. But God, they'll see you. People will see your good works and praise their heavenly Father. God, I pray that you'd be opening blind eyes as kindness is poured out. Father, I pray for those today that you're just restoring, restoring to original condition an original position. God, this morning, right now, by your Spirit, just come and minister to their hearts as they, as they put their head against your heart. God, would you just come? God, would you... It's like, it's like your heartbeat is just starting to flow through their body, their mind, their spirit. God, I pray that you would heal bodies in this room. God, I pray that you would heal minds. God, that you would, you would take, you give them strength to take captive every thought and make it obedient to you. May your word come and just transform their mind, renew their minds. God, come and restore joy. God, restore community. God, restore intimacy. God, there's an intimacy here. You're just wanting to restore. God, you're wanting to draw them close. God, by your spirits, draw them close. And Father, I just pray today for those that just there's a new, something new to put in their diet. God, a reminder to, to feed on your word in a new way. God, in a new season, to take hold of your word and to allow it to nourish their soul, to shape our lives, to shape our relationships. God, come by your spirit. God, give us clarity to know the next step to take. God, give us courage to, to create that time, to put that time aside just to be in your presence. 
and allow you to minister to our soul. God, would you bring change here this morning? In Jesus' name. Come on, if you're standing with someone, just begin to pray. Come on, just, just pray a prayer over the person that you're with. Just ask God to bless, encourage, restore, pour out his kindness. Keep praying if you like, if you want to stand and sing as we finish. But feel free if you're standing with someone, just keep praying this morning. Others can start to sing. Just pray a blessing over those that you Let's stand together. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.